This week, The Pandorica Opens slash The Big Bang. Written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Toby Haynes. We've got Matt Smith screaming at the sky, we've got the universe being rebooted, and we've got lots and lots of time loops. That's right, we're talking about Stephen Moffat again. listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're a polyamorous husband and wife taking a critical and often sociopolitical look at all eras of Doctor Who. This podcast often contains spoilers, naughty language, and general disregard for most things Stephen Moffat and other adult content. <laughs> That's right, friends. Is it a loopy puzzle box? Then it must be Moffat. Yay, loops. <laughs> and so welcome. This is uh, episode 81 of Always Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. I'm Daniel. You've heard Shayna. Uh, say hi, Shayna. Hi, Shayna. And you've also heard our guest host for today. We are uh, actually joined by another uh, person from the Web of Queer. You've heard of Jessica before. Um, and if you've gotten tired of Jessica, we are now joined by our other friend, or one of our other friends from the uh, Web of Queer, uh, Michaela. Hello. Hi, Michaela. How's it going? Good. I will say I was not bored of Jessica. I was just excited to hear from Michaela. Oh, no. We, Jessica doesn't get invited again. Now that we got Michaela on, you know, it's really a step up, I think. And we'll see. We'll see how the recording goes. But, um, now I'm in trouble. We're, we're not we're not friends with Jessica anymore is really kind of what, what I'm uh, getting at. But, um, yeah. So, uh, welcome, Michaela. I don't know any of this. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Jessica, we, we love Jessica. And uh, we're, we're friends. It's, it's fun. Continue. I think I, th- I hope she laughs when she hears that. It's funny. It's it's a joke. Ha ha. Yay. Uh, uh. Um, no, you're just trying to get the entirety of our podcast on your show. That's what you're planning. I've been planning that for a long time, and uh, actually, Michaela, you should be uh, you should be impressed. This, I didn't realize this when I scheduled it, but this is our uh, two year anniversary episode. Oh, congratulations! Isn't yeah, it? We, it is. Yeah, uh, this week, two years ago, we recorded our very first episode, which was our kind of episode zero which was kind of where we introduced ourselves um and then our first official episode was a few days after that so yeah we've been doing this for two years now yay oi spaceman that is just that is a bizarre way to measure time <laughs> yes <laughs> um so anyway uh today we are going to be digging into uh, some some Stephen moffat but first i thought uh we kind of talked to michaela a little bit about um you know about the web of queer and about kind of what she does over there and kind of what she does in terms of the Doctor Who fan in general. Um, so, Michaela, tell us a little bit about The Web of Queer and, and kind of your role on that show. So, The Web of Queer is Doctor Who fans from the UK, US, and Canada, and we're all queer in some way. I'm aromantic asexual, and we review new and classic Who. I'm being getting a crash course in classic Who because I hadn't really watched it prior to the podcast. I started and then burned. I started at the beginning, and I burned out by the Aztecs, because I do not like the First Doctor. Oh. So I, I, I almost invited you to come on and talk about, like, the Web Planet or something, but... <laughs> just to listen to me go, why? <laughs> just, just, to, just to see, but, uh, you know, just because I thought it would be amusing, and I just, I like torturing people like, with things they don't like, so, you know, that was that was kind of my, my thought. I will but, uh... keep that in mind. <laughs> no, I don't. Beware of invitations. 
Um, so yeah, I've been a fan of uh, the Web of Queer since, uh, I mean, literally since the very first episode I've been listening, and I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, the commentary you guys do, and I, I always love the uh, the way that um, particularly you and Jessica kind of give the, the feminist perspective on everything uh, when, when you get to certain issues, and um, it's it's a fun listen, so I would recommend you uh, you go check out the Web of Queer. Um, well, although no, if you're listening to the show, you probably, I don't yeah. watch podcasts because I'm a, or listen to podcasts because I'm a horrible hypocrite. <laughs> Um, so Michaela, you uh, also just recently got back from Galley, is that right? Yeah. So, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about your experience and uh, kind of what was good, what wasn't good, and you know, kind of because I've never been to Galley, so. So this was my second time going to Galley, and I was on one panel this year, and I saw a couple, but honestly, I barely went to panels this year and barely saw any of the quote-unquote headliner guests. I did a lot of hanging out in the lobby and socializing and hanging out on the pool deck and socializing. Um, mm. I did end up at one point sitting in the lobby, look up, and there's Peter Davison just wandering through the lobby chatting to people, which was <laughs> a very unexpected, I guess. <laughs> sure. It's like, oh, there's the doctor. <laughs> um, uh. No, I had a really good time. Um, the panel I was on was called Out of the Closet and Into the TARDIS, and it was talking about the queer community in Doctor Who, which I think parts of it were good and parts of it went really off the rails. Um, but like every good panel does. Yeah. It took us a while to get on topic. We opened up to question and answer really quickly because we wanted to have people involved because it was the only queer panel at Galley, and it was really? at like nine 9.30 at night on Friday against the comedy show. Um, yeah. Um, so we, um, started off with question and answer. We got on the topic of should the doctor be a woman and couldn't get off that for quite a while. But once we actually got going into queer topics, that was, I think it was a good panel. We had a variety of experiences there. So. Sure. So, uh, kind of different, any, any particular topics that you thought were interesting? Any good questions? Anything, uh, Anything else about that panel that was uh, worth mentioning? Well, people asked me about, or people asked us about the um, doctor as asexual, which a few people had heard my uh, two-minute Time Lord guest spot where I ranted about that some, so I got to redo my discussion of that again. Would you like to talk about that here for people who may not have listened to a Chip show, or, or at least kind of give us give us your perspective on the oh. the doctor as an asexual character? I don't mind the idea of the Doctor being an asexual character, but generally the way fandom discusses it, they're using an invented version of asexuality that has no actual resemblance to real asexuality, and they are using it to emphasize alienness because obviously asexuals aren't human beings. Yeah. I find that I find that in general when people talk about the Doctor and like, oh, it's inhuman, you know, and like, yeah. oh, he's he's like he's like really abstract and he's like he doesn't he doesn't understand human feelings. He's so alien and it's like, or he's just kind of spectrum, you know. There, there's a lot of like using alien to just mean weird or different as opposed to you know like like as as an alternative to human as opposed to yeah, uh, and it's on the show as well. It's the whole obviously the Doctor is too big and important to fall in love with people and. Yeah, Basically describing think, an a, a romantic character is inherently inhuman, and then I'm sitting there going, thanks. Yeah, no, and I definitely, you know, as as I often say on this show, um, when you have shows like Steven Universe, um, a kid show that is talking about 
romantic love versus um, humanness and like makes an issue of the emotions and the alienness, but that not meaning that it's inhuman, just talking about the fact that it is different and learning how to communicate through our differences. There's so much more per perspective based on that. All of the discussion I've ever heard about the doctor being, like you said, aromantic or asexual is because he's alien. It's not because um, that could possibly be a character trait, dare I say. Like that the doctors, I mean, even if you, I mean, what do you think, Michaela? Do you, do you think any of the doctors read to you as more asexual than others? Or like, is that, is that something you really want to chat about or, or, you know, something you want to explore before we dig into the, uh, this episode? I have a hard time with this because I'm, I'm really terrible at subtext. I am okay. appallingly terrible at finding subtext. So, um, well, certainly do you think I can say, like, the 11th Doctor is in no way aromantic. Um, he may or may not be asexual, I don't know, but he is not aromantic because he is obviously in love with River. I would say okay. the same with 12 after uh, we saw Husbands of River Song. He appears to be in love with River as well. So again, definitely not aromantic. Asexual is hard because I don't know. 10, again, in love with Rose. So there goes the aromantic thing. 9, I haven't a clue. And then I have a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's completely reasonable. I, I get that. Um, any and of the then classic I have a hard doctors. time with classic doctors because I don't know if I've seen enough of them and certainly not seen any in order to be able to tell. Sure. Yeah. No. Well, and I think uh, I know as far as any conversations we have about queer representation, it's usually fan baity or queer baity, and it's like, oh, are they or aren't they? So I'm sure that. Maybe there were moments where you can kind of project onto certain doctors a similar experience, but I, I don't know. A lot of the queer stuff or the stuff that I recognize as queer is probably not on purpose. It's just in how I'm watching it. Yeah, and um, the thing with asexual or aromantic representation is because it's so easy to overlook or ignore, it really has to be explicit. It has to be right, sick. and implying it doesn't work because... It just gets ignored. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of, and I, and I find this from, from fandom or maybe from, you, know, you, you see a lot of people using the word asexual just to mean sex isn't something that's considered on the show. Well, particularly you look at like the classic series, we're just, we're not talking about sex yeah. in an explicit way in classic who. It's just not something. And so therefore the doctor is an asexual character. And it's like, no, 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 no. The show itself just isn't dealing with sex. The show is kind of non-sexual. Exactly. That yeah. doesn't yeah. mean that the character doesn't have sex. I mean, you know, so, or doesn't want to have sex or is oriented in that way. Um, sorry, I'm not trying to, uh, to smoosh all that together. I can't differentiate that, but, um, yeah, that's no, sort of, that's, I, mean, I, I, I hate the way that people use asexual in terms of describing this character. Sorry. Go ahead. And it implies that asexuality is like, it, it's a almost blank. It's something that you can project whatever you want onto, as opposed to its own identity that has its own like issues and community and like, complications i guess yeah and i mean i i think that that's why you know we like your show um even though i haven't listened to a ton of it or any um because i don't <laughs> listen to podcasts it's not it's not a judgment but that's that's what we bring to it right our commentary is kind of trying to say 
is is there something that I can see as representative of my culture or my idea of whatever identity we're talking about at the time? Um, because, you know, intersectionality, uh, we identify as multiple things. But yeah, no, I would definitely say romance and sexuality tend to need to be a bit more explicit because so much of our society has taken time to just like make it quiet. Uh, you know, you talk about invisible diseases, the quieted voices. So um, unless you bring it to the forefront and make an issue of it, like with um, Vastra and Jenny, even though they have some issues their own, but like that is like, yes, we are acknowledging these are both women and they are together. Um, like you said, you can't really tell who's going to be sexual unless they're sitting there and saying, yes, I'm going to fuck that person. I-, I get where you're coming from. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about um, these episodes, especially because, okay, before we go further, I actually need to thank Michaela for picking these episodes to watch because it was just out of context enough that I could remember Oh, right. You know, I did like Amy and I did like this doctor and I did like Rory and I I did like River. I just didn't like the writing. And I, I'm enough removed from it now that like I can have issues with the writing, but I watched these episodes and actually really enjoyed them. So thank you for making me revisit them because I'm already like, wow, OK, I, my Moffat hate does maybe not extend to this doctor and these characters. And so I'm, I'm ready to revisit them and I'm excited to talk about them. I'm glad you like them. I promise I didn't just pick it because of loops. <laughs> I um, like yes. I, I, I know that, uh, uh, I, I've heard tales of, uh, when you guys were recording your heaven sent review and, uh, you just said the word loops about 5,000 times. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, just just for anyone who uh, who hasn't heard that story yet, uh, we've been talking about maybe doing a heaven sent discussion at some point as like a bonus episode. So we'll see if that if that turns out. If you want to hear us talk, get into the nitty gritty of the uh, the loop system and heaven sent, uh, I think we might do that. Um, but yeah, uh, why don't we uh, go ahead and dig into some of this now that Shanna's kind of um, broached the topic of the uh, Pandora opens and the Big Bang and the Eleventh Doctor in general. Um, yep, I did it on purpose. Yeah, Shanna's like, come on, let's let's get moving here. It's time to go. <laughs> uh, Michaela, I, you are you would you consider the eleventh Doctor like your Doctor? Is that is that kind of where you land on this? Yeah, um, I didn't really have a Doctor until Twelve came along, and I reacted really hard against Twelve. I did not like Twelve until about Flatline, because okay, so I was like, in retrospect, I'm like, I want Eleven back. So that's <laughs> kind of why I decided Eleven was my Doctor because. He was the one who was like, I want him back. And I was thoroughly sick of the 10th Doctor by the time the specials were over. So, yeah. Now, did you watch all this live or did you watch it kind of in retrospect, like on DVD or streaming or whatever? I wa- I started watching live with Series 4. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Um, A lot of people who, who kind of watched all that sequence live kind of have that like, okay, I'm kind of done with David Tennant now. I'm ready to move on to, to something else. And that's a, that's a really common um, thing. So that was why I was wondering if you kind of got that impression. Did you watch it later or were you watching it kind of in the moment? Yeah, I was watching it as it went. So it was a long year of not that great stories. And he's like, I don't want to go. I'm like, please go. We need something else. 
I can imagine that, you know, I think I'm very fortunate that I started with nine and I loved nine and I hated 10 at first, but then 10 became like my favorite. Um, but I did also get to watch through that entire era at the speed that I wanted to watch through it because there were already episodes or we were watching just before 11 started. No, we were watching. We we actually watched this before series seven started. We watched everything through the end of series six as either streaming or on a DVD. Okay, so you got it at your own pace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we plowed through most of it, you know, especially like series six, which I think both of us were really just like, okay, watch the next one, because oh my god, like we neither one of us particularly had anything positive to say about series six even at the time. So yeah. yeah. But we're not here to talk about that today. We're here to talk about um, this one, which um, a lot of people would call this kind of two-parter, one of the highlights of uh, the Matt Smith era. Um, uh, Michaela, why did you pick this one? Why did you say, I mean, you you said you didn't do this just to talk about Luke, so why did you pick this uh, episode? I think Because um, I gave you free reign. I think it's got a lot of the, um, like you said, you want to talk about the Eleventh Doctor and it's got a lot of the aspects of the Eleventh Doctor. It's got the big speeches. It's got the quiet moment of like him sitting beside the bed and talking to young Amelia. It's got like the crazy time loop puzzle boxes. Like it's got a lot of the things that you saw a lot of in Matt Smith's era. It's got going back to see all of the people that led up to that series. Like I felt like it summed up a lot of what's good and what maybe not so good about the Eleventh Doctor in one episode. Yeah, no, I I agree. So, um, why don't you t- speak to that a little bit? Like, what what do you think is good? What do you think is not so good? Kind of where do you land on this? Like, is this one of your favorites of this uh of this Doctor of this of Doctor Who? Or it's one um, of my, yeah, it is one of my favorites. I think it might be my favorite season finale. I don't know. I have to rethink that with the last couple of seasons, but certainly bef- up to the end of Matt Smith, it was my favorite of the season finales. Um. I like that it's tightly plotted and actually, like, you see the Doctor maintaining the time loops. Like, there's not a lot of guessing involved. It's, like, it's laid out. This is how it happened. This is how we're maintaining it all. Mm-hmm. Um, which... He picks up the mop and then he goes back and then he puts the mop down and then he goes back. Yeah. And kind of that sort of thing, yeah. Um, It's got, like, the big speech, I do appreciate them. Not when they're overused, but, like, in this case, like... It wasn't the doctor being ridiculous, it was the doctor trying to buy time by being ridiculous, which I can appreciate. Um, and I, I think, do- uh, sorry, not to interrupt you, but that's what I do. I interrupt. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think that that's what I really liked about rewatching this episode, is this This is a good loopy one. It it does. The, if If you take it out of context of the stuff that was just, like, felt overwhelming, at that time for me, about the show, just watching this as an excerpt of that era, suddenly I feel like, oh, right, it has sassy Amy, and that's my favorite Amy, is when she gets to feel like she's really going on an adventure and having fun with the Doctor. Um, And I got to see high points and low points of the Doctor, but in the end, uh, everything held together you know things made sense even if it was they made a silly point of it like no doctor when i saw you you had this and he's like oh right which means i have to give you this like that kind of loopy stuff i i i genuinely like because it it feels consistent and it it wraps up with a pretty little bow at the end um whether or not it's 
a happy bow, but yeah, like a, as a series finale, I, I liked it watching it this time. I'm I'm just happy because I thought you were gonna come on and I was gonna like fight with you the whole time. <laughs> I was kind of half expecting that. <laughs> I would I would have forced I would have forced some politeness. It would have it would have been okay. okay. We would have fine. Yeah. Um. Polite, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Other th- other things you you really like about this one, Michaela? Like other other elements of it that you that you find like, compelling or interesting? I like River in this one. Mm-hmm. I have this is one seen... of the best River episodes. She she's kind of crossed between Indiana Jones and Han Solo. In this. Yes, I have severe issues with River at basically either extreme end of her timeline. Yep, but River here, River here is independent and knows what she wants to do, and is basically dragging the Doctor into it because she can, and she doesn't need him, but she'll drag him in anyways. And I wish that we had gotten to see more of this River and. I think people who have heard me bitch about River before, this is what I'm talking about when I say I don't feel like we got to ever really spend good time with her. This is the times that I would have liked to see. Like, she could have had her own side series just with these kinds of adventures, and I would have loved that. So a lot of the reason I get so angry with the River fandom is because I'm like, no, she deserved better than a lot of what she got. But this is definitely a great... Well, there's there's definitely a sense of I mean there you know this is kind of the Phil Sandifer metafiction thing but there's definitely a sense of River Song is kind of in her own TV show at this point like we don't get to see that TV show but it's almost like this is kind of a River Song adventure that collides with a Doctor Who story and uh, you know you really get a sense of like oh River is off kind of doing her own thing kind of having her own adventures and then oh and this one happens to have the Doctor in it it's almost more of a River Song story at parts than a than a Doctor Who story mm. yeah she's the one that drives she's the one that makes it happen. Like, yeah. she gets the phone calls, she makes the decisions. She doesn't tell the doctor, oh, you need to go find this painting. She goes and finds the painting. Yeah. And I think that that's what I miss so much of in in so many of the River episodes is she comes as a fully formed character with a lot of agency in this episode. Like you said, she is the one that already has the plot in motion. Um, the doctor ends up just kind of answering her beck and call and not really even knowing why at this point in their relationship except for he does what river says and she is really competent and smart and does a lot and holds her own uh where other times i feel like the doctor gets to be the the one who does everything um and i like i like this river I wish that we had seen more of this river, but I feel like this episode packs in a lot of what people love about her. And if I was to just go through and watch river episodes, maybe I might feel a little differently about her character. <laughs> uh, but, you know, having to wait for like good episodes in between has always is left a mixed, mixed feeling about that character. Anyways, continue. What else do you like about this episode? I guess this is one of the, like, I I like Amy and Rory, mm-hmm. and I hate it when the plot tries to throw the Doctor in the middle and do the Amy can't choose thing. Mm-hmm. And this one, it doesn't have that. It has the Doctor, like, being the friend who both of them need. And yeah. he's only, like, he's there and he's their friend. He's not competition. But yeah. their rela- And their relationship's important, but I guess, like, I'm the, I'm a friend I'm the single friend of many couples, and it's not, like, that's a dynamic that can work fine, which you rarely see on TV. You see it in this episode. Absolutely. 
And I was the single friend to many couples for many years. And it, it's something that bothers me because I feel like now as a a couple, it changes my friendships with certain friends because there isn't a representation of that, hey, look, just because they're a couple doesn't mean we treat them like one thing now. Uh, these are just happen to be two people that I like and they want to be with each other. So that's great. There does always need to be some kind of diminishment of one character because of the the coupleness of it so i would agree with that what do we think about the bit at the end where uh, amy goes to kiss the doctor after uh, he uh, reappears and he goes no 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 now rory you have to kiss rory now instead of kissing me i did say rory, there were rory more you now yep yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all we really need to say about that, right? You know, like <laughs> I mean, again, I I feel like I I'm trying to start to dissociate Moffat from this doctor. Um I think now that I know that he's leaving, I I I could kind of do that a little bit more easily. <laughs> but I think in this episode you get to see a lot of the best of all of these characters. Even though he still has to get in his little sitcommy like tropes and jabs at just like hey heteronormativity, <laughs> you know. Can you give us an example of uh, one of those in this uh, story, Shannon? The hey heteronormativity moment, definitely. The I, I think the downside of River in this is that she uses her feminine wiles and her hypnotic lipstick. Um, mm. there, there's a part of me that wishes that that was, you know, why did it have to be lipstick? You know, why, why is it always the fucking hypnotic lipstick? Um, that has not been new since Poison Ivy, uh, <laughs> you know, in Batman or probably well before. Um, well, that's like one of those femme fatale, like spy thriller things. I mean, that dates back to at least the forties, you know, like in River and re kind of a reimagining as a film fatale as this sort of, you know. I, that that's kind of how I see River's like uh, lipstick choices <laughs> is kind of like that kind of trope inversion. No, and I get that, and that's what I'm saying is like I think sometimes we get those tropes and it's too spot on for me. Like you know the moment at the end with um, the Doctor being like, "No, no, kiss Rory." Um, Have we kiss- ever seen a woman affected by River's lipstick? I don't think we have. Yeah. Rivers, Rivers' uh, queerness is very much a a theoretical thing. Yeah, as far as the show is concerned, um, she has referenced it a handful of times. I, I can think of two, maybe three, off the top of my head, but never in a like never in an explicit like on screen way. As far as I know, we've never seen that anytime, certainly televised. Um, I don't know, maybe one of the novels or something, right? Or the short stories or whatever. So you end up getting kind of this this nineties feminism. Where it's like, oh, look at her. She can wit out, outwit all the dumb boys, even all the old Roman soldiers and the Caesar, because, you know, she's a chick with hypnotic lipstick. And because all men, all they do is they're just hypnotized by women's wiles. Yeah. And, you know, we're just completely useless if there's a woman who's, like, sexy. And that's... We just well, completely lose our entire ability to, to do and, anything. And a woman's only agency is her sexiness and her ability to, like, fool you. Um, it's not as heavy handed as I'm making it out to sound. <laughs> um, I think that it's some, it's one of the low points of 
the character in this episode for me, but I think the high points of how she, you know, it's like, well, if she's going to be feminine and, and have that be part of her um, agency, let's have her pretend to be Cleopatra just because it would be really fucking fun because she wanted to play dress up. And so being able to watch this episode and kind of give her that, I liked. But yeah, no, we never get to see actual queer river, which is disappointing. Any thoughts on that, Michaela? Oh, uh, yeah. We weren't even sure. Like, we discussed it on The Love of Queer when we were doing the um, Husbands of River song review. And we were, weren't even sure if we could call her definitely queer. Mm-hmm. Because she's proven so often that she uses marriage to as means to an end. Mm-hmm. So it's not even I like mean, her referencing past relationships can necessarily say that she's actually attracted to these people so much as she's just using them as a um like a step on a path or a plan part of a plan. So it's hard to say if River is queer or not. And why does it matter that she's the doctor's wife when she's been all these other dudes' wives and it's all been, like you said, a means to an end. It there's a lot about her character that I think ends up subverting what they like to try and allude to. And people end up, some fans, I think, cling to that and say, no, she's queer, because they said this. And I'm like, okay. There is one line that's like, and it's in her very first appearance in the Silence in the Library two-parter, where she um, has the line, um, there's not anyone on this ship I don't fancy. And there are, you know, both men and women on the ship, which would, you know, I think is very clearly, okay, if you're fancying, if you're sexually attracted to everyone on the ship, you are therefore, by definition, a queer character. Uh, to some degree. Hmm. I um, remember that. I remember she told what's his name that she didn't fancy him. I don't remember her saying that she fancied uh, everyone else. I'm not. I I'm not doubting to... you. I'm just. I haven't seen that a lot. I I haven't watched that. I I, I might be wrong about that. I haven't uh, dug up the uh, the. Uh, I haven't watched that episode in a long time. But I I remember that being a line where I think the line is something like I fancy everyone on the ship except for you know the guy who you know the the guy in charge or whatever the the stupid guy so yeah um but that's one line and even if we admit that that line is there and she's canonically queer quote unquote that's one line out of you know many. so many appearances and we never get to see it actually expressed on screen yeah. so i think the the confusion or the uh the doubtfulness is definitely uh worthy worth worth talking well, about um, and something that i want to talk about um and i want to mention it while it's on my mind uh before i forget uh, Daniel and I have focused a lot on the companions um, over the past two years, apparently. Um, uh, and one of the things that I really focused on in this particular episode was Amy and Amy's kind of relationship to her emotions and her sexuality and her agency um, because she has forgotten the best friend slash love of her life and then remembers him by the end and how she treats the Romans in general at the beginning, where she's like, Oh, gotta love me an Italian man. Blah, blah, uh, you know, is very different than what we get from her going back to the Amy of, you know, her roots or whatever right. <laughs> at the end. Um, again, there's a little bit of loopiness here. So I think that's hard for me to talk about but i just wondered if either of you had anything to say about that because i i again out of context going back and seeing amy as this very sexually aware adult um 
Whereas so much of the other stuff, we see her as a pawn between, like, you have to choose between the Doctor and Rory. Um, I felt like that was one of the positive things about this episode, is that I got to focus on Amy and her personality more than Amy as part of a relationship, even though so much of the focus ends up being on that. I have lots of thoughts about Amy and the way that sex is treated in this story and the way that uh, Amy's sexuality. I am perfectly okay with Amy wanting to have sex with a Roman legion. I have no issues with that. I think that's a good thing for Doctor Who to do. I do think that there is uh, a certain level of immaturity that Moffat scripts often bring to this topic to where it's a very kind of superficial treatment of, you know, where look at the sexy Italians and it doesn't go any deeper than that. There's no sense of like pleasure or enjoyment or anything. It's just kind of, you know, very, very superficial. And I think that, you know, it does kind of go back to that, like, you know, men are just stupefied by women in sexy dresses and they just can't, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of almost my fundamental issue with this kind of writing is that if we're going to do sex, let's treat it like a subject that's actually important and an adult and not like kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge at it all the time, which again goes back to the kind of the queer representation stuff where we've literally had what, 10 episodes with River Song. She's supposed to be a canonically queer character and yet trying to put your finger on it and say, this is the point where she's definitely queer becomes like, it's just this like cloud, this illusion, this fog, and we can't like define any yeah. of it in any kind of way. Um, and that's kind of my, my general just thesis statement on this stuff. Um, when we talk about these kind of episodes, um, you know, I know this is kind of tough as a, as a as an asexual person to uh, yeah. to talk about because it's it's kind of like we're just speaking a language you don't uh, you don't get. Um, so so I don't want to I don't want to push you on that if you don't want to talk about it. But um, it's almost like the the eleventh Doctor is like almost like uh, what I consider to be a kind of icky girls are icky twelve year old approach to sex is almost like the thing that I like the least about the eleventh Doctor in a lot of ways. Um, and that he, it's not that he's, he's not portrayed as asexual as far as I read him. He's just portrayed as being very immature and the, you know, the kind of immaturity towards mature topics. Well, kind of just bothers yeah. me. I, I think that's the funny thing is in this episode, I think what I was trying to say, maybe I didn't say it well, uh, in this episode, I didn't feel that as much from the doctor. I felt like any goofiness they had between each other was because they were friends. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's in this episode. I think I'm. I'm taking. I'm talking about the Eleventh Doctor in general. So I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to push it on this. Yeah. Well, not to <laughs> silence the asexual voice that Daniel, since Daniel just said, Michaela, you may not have an opinion on this at all. Uh, but I, how do you watch the relationships change in this episode? What do you think of them? Um, I think it's interesting when you think of the implications of rebooting the universe. Because Amy that we have at the beginning of these episodes grew up with most of the people that were important to her vanishing through a crack in the wall to the point where she can't remember them. Mm -hmm. So, like, she's clinging to, like, you can see her as, like, she's clinging to Rory and the Doctor because they stayed. Well, the Doctor kind of stayed. Um, They came back. Mm -hmm. Whereas by the end of the episode, she's now, like, somehow grown up with the mom and dad, even though she didn't. I'm very confused. But she now, like, those rela- those people are still there. Right. So you can almost see her, like, she's not gone through all the... See, I, it's hard, because it doesn't really show you how much she does and doesn't remember of growing up with the crack in her wall. But if she's now grown up, grown up with her parents and without people just vanishing from her life through a crack in her wall, that would probably, like, that would set her up to 
probably be less damaged. Yeah. But apparently she's still gone to psychiatrists and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's a reference yeah. to all the psychiatrists she saw as a child and, and all that sort of thing. I, You know, where I... This, this to me, is kind of one of those other just kind of like there are fundamental gaps in our understanding of, of the characters at this point, which kind of distances me from them. Um, we don't even have to limit it to Amy. Like, we never really get a good answer about, like, how much Rory remembers about spending 2,000 years guarding a box, you know? Um, I think there's a line of dialogue in The Day of the Moon two-parter where he says, you know, I can kind of remember if I open a door or something, yeah. you know, to that effect. And I, to, to me, like, I, I don't want to get off of Amy, but I mean, to me, it's like Rory's supposed to have spent literally 1800 years, like, immersed in society, even if he stood next to a box for 2000 years, like, he didn't learn any languages, he doesn't have any, like, context, he doesn't have any, like, he learned, he got nothing out of this experience except I stood next to a box. I mean, it, you would think it would inform his character, and you would think that, like, suddenly Amy having a family again would inform her character. And yet, I don't know, do you think that there's kind of a discontinuity between the Series 5 and the Series 6 and 7, Amy and Rory, Michaela? I think there was less of the, um, Amy having to choose between Rory and the Doctor in Series 6, but honestly, I don't rewatch Series 6 that much, so I have no idea if I'm making that up or not. Um, okay. <laughs> That's that that that's a that's a fair answer. I I, I understand. Um, yeah. So, uh, what do we think of? Uh, I guess Rory. Can we can we talk about Rory for a little bit? What do we think about him? Kind of like. Well, I want to say one more to... thing about Amy. Um, Go ahead, Shane. Because I think th this is both one of the episodes where I really like Amy, but it also has the example of one of the reasons I have such an issue with her character is we don't see that change in her character from having been like essentially raised on her own to, Oh, she had a healthy family life. Uh, but she still remembered the doctor somehow. Uh, and there's a lot of playing with memory here. Um, and ultimately, uh, I think it links into the bigger picture of issues I have with how Stephen Moffat writes about mental health is there's, this memory and uh, not remembering. And I think I, I find it problematic, but I think I find it problematic for a completely different reason. But I certainly, yeah, after this, I, I think that they're a completely different couple, but um, not because she has a family. <laughs> I think the, the story just goes some completely else somewhere else. Um, so the fact that Rory doesn't really have much of an identity here doesn't bother me just because as we go on it kind of matters and it kind of doesn't <laughs> well after this they're married and so therefore um all other you know, all their other relationships any of amy's other desires or anything have just been supplemented underneath that like they're married and so therefore she doesn't she only desires rory from this point forward. right uh anyways i'm sorry michaela what were you going to say about rory oh i was gonna say um Rory's, actually, Rory's death in the Sarah two-parter is why I got into fandom, because I was not okay with that. And I wanted to find out if other people were not okay with that, which is why I ended up on, um, of all places, Ravelry, which is a knitting website forum, um, talking about Doctor Who. Um, so, so when you say you were not okay with the Rory's death at the end of the Sarah or death, yes. in quotes. Well, I didn't know it was temporary at the time. 
Oh no, 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 sure, certainly, certainly. I, I mean, uh, so, so uh, could you could you talk to that just a little bit? Um, Shana has not rewatched that one recently, but I did after the Chibnall decision was announced. I actually rewatched that one as, as kind of like let's let's revisit a Chibnall story that I haven't revisited in a I, while. And I have my issues. With I have that. not watched uh, that one since it aired. So. so okay, well, but so so when you say you had issues with Rory's death, what I liked, talk to I that. liked Rory. I thought he had. A lot, like, I like the idea of having both of them in the TARDIS, and when they just arbitrarily killed him off, I was not, like, I was like, this is not okay. I want Rory back. So, um, I was quite pleased, or originally when I was watching it, that he was back, because I was happy to see him again. I feel like this kind of marks the turning point, because prior to this, Rory was kind of the, a lot of times he was the one saying, like, this is impossible, or this isn't right, we shouldn't be doing this, or, like, the Doctor's a bad influence. And it seems like this was the turning point where he started to buy into traveling. He's still, a lot of it seems to be traveling for Amy. Like, the reason he travels is because he wants to be with Amy. But he also, I think he's enjoying it for his own sake now. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely see that. I think part of that, again, becomes problematic because it ends up feeling like, well, now that he has married Amy he can enjoy this differently. But I think part of what made me like Rory more in this episode is because I saw it away from the context of him having died in the way that he did at the point that he did. And just being able to say like, oh, Amy doesn't remember Rory uh, and he shouldn't be here, but he is. Yeah, I don't really see it linked to the marriage so much as linked to his choice to stay and guard the box. Mm-hmm. I guess I see, like, is that kind of the impact of the uh, 2,000 years of guarding the box that we see is that he's, I would say, almost more confident in himself. He's less of a tag-along and more of an active participant. I could, I mean, I haven't rewatched. I mean, I, I've only seen, I think, the like, there's one episode of Series 6 I've seen more than once. Mm. So, um, I, have, I don't have any, like, uh, great memories of Series 6, but... I could probably get on board with that, that Rory's a little bit more adventuresome and a little bit more kind of along for the ride. Um, I think that it kind of speaks to uh, the kind of Moffat feminism that, uh, you know, the really clever thing is to give the girl role, quote unquote, to Rory. Oh, he's kind of tagging along. He kind of wants to go home. He kind of wants to, you know, just be safe. And he wants to take care of Amy. And Amy's the one going off and being adventuresome, which is totally... Um, a subversion of the idea that, you know, Rory, the the male, would be the big adventuresome one, and then the girl's just kind of dragging him back, you know, that's, I, I think that's that's as far as uh, anybody on the on the production crew really thought about that issue. And you could say the exact uh, same thing about Clara and Danny, just describing that there, it's like, yeah. Absolutely, it's exactly the Clara and Danny, I mean, but for that matter, it's also kind of the Mickey and Rose thing. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a very common thing. I just, you know, it, the, the fact that it keeps coming back over and over again, and uh, you know, um, I just thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, I see a lot of people kind of talk about um, one of the big issues with Rory and the and the kind of the Pandorica issue is, uh, you know, Rory is the nice guy. I waited for you for two thousand years, therefore I deserve to to be with you. You know, therefore, you know, it's okay that I shot you because I then guarded you for two thousand years. And you know, kind of Rory is the ultimate nice guy is sort of the the, the thing that I see uh, talked about a lot. And I'm wondering how you guys feel about. That I issue. just don't think that's really. I mean, there are nice guy issues with him. I don't think that they are in this story. <laughs> like the whole like I shot you, but I guarded you for two thousand years. I mean. 
the, the, the whole first point, thing he says to her is to apologize. Yeah, and he told tells her to get away, like, I'm gonna shoot you, because I... So, I I have issues with that just because of the autons and the idea that he could resist that much anyway, as he did. Uh, are there bits of that in his earlier character, when he's the best friend, who's just been, like, hanging out and waiting for Amy to realize he's there? Eh, maybe. But uh, for me, it's more important that we actually get to see Amy have real emotion for him instead of just kind of this flirting around like, well, she's with Rory because why isn't she? She can't be with Rory and have the doctor as a friend without wanting to be with the doctor instead, Um, which is, I think, the dynamic that we get a lot. Yeah, I don't think there is that issue in this story. Like, to to the extent you see it in other stories, like, yes, he shoots her, but he his first instinct is to apologize. Mm-hmm, and he sure. did, like, yeah, and he did warn her. He did tell her to get away. Like, it's, it's not entirely his fault. Well, no, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I guess, I guess, and again, this almost comes back to the way that fandom treats it. Like, you know, the fact that he stood for 2,000 years next to the boxes, the ultimate romantic gesture sort of thing. Um, you know, I see a lot of like that I find images and yeah. stuff. I think that's uh, and the one time, the one time you see it, I think in the show, really explicitly said is in the Doctor's Wife, where the house creature is doing is messing with their heads, and he does the he has Amy being attacked by Rur- by fake Rory, who's saying I waited for you and then you left me again. But that's more in Amy's head than in Rory's head. And I could see her feeling like I could, like yeah. I don't, I don't think that badly portrays Rory necessarily. I don't know where I'm going with this. No, I see what you're saying. I think you get more of an implication. It implies more about Amy than it does about Rory. Rory, like, okay, so again, taking this out of the context of the rest of the ep- of the episodes, just looking at this one, these two episodes. Rory is an auton at this point. He is is not human. So him sitting next to a box for 2000 years should have been interesting in some way, um but to who knows what degree really. Um the fact that that gets kind of unwritten by the rest of the episode, maybe that's why it doesn't really affect his character and like you said it's kind of he says it's there if he really searches for it but it's not really part of who he is but i think instead we get this i i instead end up focusing on amy and feeling like this is the first time that i feel we understand amy actually does love rory and i don't even care what kind of love i think so much of what their interaction before it has been really immature i don't know i feel like i'm rambling now (laughs) they are like what 21 yeah they're young well rory's gotta i mean rory's a nurse so he's gotta be at least i mean in his mid-20s right like you can't be a nurse and be 21 well amy's 21 because she was seven she's and then there was 14 years okay that makes sense i I, I neither agree nor disagree with that. I, I don't remember the details enough to, to keep that in mind. But if Rui's a nurse, you would think he has to be at least a couple of years. I mean, not necessarily that, but... if he's doing, like, just his beginning work. And I think that that's part of 
part of the issue of me being able to say, like, I like these characters. I like a lot of what we get to see of these characters in this situation, in this episode. But every time I say that, I have to take it out of context of trying to keep the whole story together. Because as a whole story, there's lots of holes in it. And I don't really understand how this Amy and Rory make it into the next season. <laughs> Those Amy, That version of Amy and Rory feels very different to me. But as childhood best friends who grew up and she always had an imaginary friend who ends up being real, like, that was the core of the story that I actually liked of these characters. And I feel that it it's in this more for me. I don't know why. Maybe because we get to see young Amy so much. Yeah. And you can see, like, I could see that young Amy fighting all the psychiatrists that her best her imaginary friend is real yeah like she's got that stubbornness she's willing to go and hide in the museum because some note told her to yeah and this i mean this this is the character i mean i think this is where we get to see amy with her most agency in a weird way is when she is young and you know she's going to all these psychiatrists and she refuses to say that she doesn't believe they they could have, I mean, we have seen other episodes with children who just end up pretending, okay, well, fine, you tell me that this doesn't exist, I'll just believe you. But it does say something about um, Amy's character, both as a kid and an adult, that they are stubborn enough to say, no, this is the truth, and you're wrong. Like, you can tell me all day that I'm wrong, but I will tell you I am right. I think that uh, one of the things that, that I kind of run back to here, um, I want to talk about the Pandorica a bit. And uh, I'm, we're going to talk about loops now, Michaela. So, so yeah. <laughs> um, there is a certain cause and effect loop here. There, there is a kind of a, a paradox here because um, it's, it's explicitly stated that this, this whole situation, the Roman era, the Stonehenge, the, the Pandorica is Pandora's box. And that all comes from Amy's memories. That all comes from, you know, uh, that have been influenced by the crack or whatever. Like, they're, it's kind of vague about exactly how this all happened, but the crack invaded, like, kind of permeated Amy's mind. And then there was, they, they kind of pulled all these images out of her mind. And the Pandorica is created because of this. But the only reason that the crack was created was because of rivers trying to move the TARDIS away from the Pandorica. And that exploded everything. And so so there is this kind of closed loop going on. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, Kayla. The silence thing is never really very well resolved. I know they tried to give us something at the end of the Eleventh Doctor, but... There, there's a whole line about it, Michaela. Come on, what else did you expect? More than that. Um, yeah. Exactly, yes. No, I agree. Well, <laughs> but that, that's, that's Moffat, right? Like, hey, want to guess what the season, like, the next season is going to be about? I'm going to give you a teaser line. Silence will fall. Let's ignore that for two and a half seasons or however long it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I just, just, I, I kind of get the feeling that, that Matt Smith left before they thought he was going to leave and they thought they were going to have another year to like explore that. That's sort of my like headcanon for like why that's just literally a line thrown out in the middle of an episode. Um, but I'm, I'm distracting everybody from the question I actually asked. So please, Michaela, continue. I, I just wanted to throw that. So in. like we've tra- kind of got this somehow force that's dra- dragging the TARDIS to that date. So I'm kind of willing to like ignore that and say, okay, that was always going to happen. And this is just kind of how it like at some point that was going to happen because they had to go to that date eventually because Amy and Rory were getting married. 
So at some point they reached that date and exploded for reasons. Um, <laughs> I kind of like that, like we got the, the like all the evil people being like, okay, we're evil, but we like the universe. So let's um, band together and keep that going. Yeah, no, that that's definitely an interesting thing. Um, you know, uh, one of the things about the Pandora is that you know the Doctor approaches it as this like mythical thing and like myths and legends and fairy tales and you know memories and all that kind of stuff definitely play a big part of this. Really, the Matt Smith era in general, but particularly the story is kind of all about like the Pandora is this myth. Well, and and like what he describes, he describes what's inside. One day it drops out of the sky and like destroys your world. How is that not the Doctor? Well, I mean, that's exactly how the, uh, you know, that's how the Daleks would yeah. imagine the Doctor. The Doctor is this terrifying figure for them, you know, but even or the like Santarans or the Cybermen or the innocent you know. people. If the Doctor picks their world as a battleground, like go all the way back to like the human nature and family of blood, where the Doctor's hiding in this place and all these people die because the Doctor showed up. Yeah, that's that's certainly pretty much the most. I mean, it's most explicitly shown in in Human Nature, Family of Blood. I would I would agree with that. So, like, I can kind of like if you establish the fact that they did this, like the the evil people locked the Doctor away for good reasons, which caused the reasons that they did. Like that that's a loop. That's one loop going, and then we've got another loop going of how are they going to get how are they getting the doctor out which we kind of see all the steps fall in place we see the doctor walk through okay this is why i need to tell rory this is how i need to get the screwdriver back this is how i need to get amelia here like all that's walked through so like i very much like that loop because you see all the steps you don't have to make any of the steps up well and um, that's what i and that's generally when i say lazy writing that's what i mean is that you should see all the steps <laughs> You know, it should be, you should get a reward. The writing should reward you by following and paying attention. You shouldn't have to fill in a bunch of steps for things to make sense. I was trying to figure out how erasing works, because people keep on getting erased from time. And I, um, the only explanation I came up with was that even when people are erased, the stuff they did has to stay. They are erased from memory, but the, their effects of their actions have to remain. Otherwise, this wouldn't work at all. Because all the evil people were erased, and then the Doctor's still in the Pandorica. Uh, Rory's erased, but we still have the ring, and all the things that meant that Amy was in the TARDIS at that time. Yeah. Um, well, the way they seem to justify it is that, like, if you're at the eye of the storm, then, like, you can basically, like, things can be erased. Like, little Amy is erased at one point, and, like, you know adult Amy, Karen Gillan is still around, and it's like, well, how am I still here? It's like, well, you have resistance because you're a time traveler, hand-wavy, hand-wavy, hand-wavy. No, but I even mean, there's, not... There's a lot of hand not time travelers. Though. Like, Amy's parents are erased, and Amy's still there. Like, the doctors are erased, and the universe didn't fall apart the way we saw it when uh, the doctor was erased another time. Name of the doctor. Yeah, erased from history definitely doesn't mean erased from yeah. history. Like it, you know, it is, and and I think that that's kind of my fundamental. Like it's for me, it's what makes it a fairy tale as opposed to something that's like actually trying to deal with, you know, because it's the the rules are magic. It doesn't make any sense. It just and kinda, I'm okay with the, the rules being magic. I don't like it when they pretend they're hard science and they completely like fail at the science. But if yeah. you're not gonna pretend and just go with it, I I'm cool with that. Yeah, and I mean, there was straight up, like, the sonic screwdriver is a wand in this episode a few times. <laughs> so, like, like, oh, look, I'm just going to use it to light this torch. 
because that's yep. that's a thing. I, I, I get. Go ahead, Shana. I'm sorry. No, that's all I was gonna say. That's a thing. I I think for me the thing with the like the you know like I'm fine with it either being kind of a fantasy fairy tale-y kind of like things get erased but there's not like sense or reason behind it but then at that point like it's not a logic puzzle anymore it's not something that there isn't literally it can't be figured out because there's nothing to figure out at that point and so I need something else to kind of drag me along with the story and I mean in this case, I think the characters, you kind of, you're kind of on board with kind of the, the character bits and, you know, the kind of general, uh, you know, kind of forward momentum of it and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's fine, but it's definitely kind of one of those things where, like, once you admit that there are no rules, it's not clever. I don't think there are no you know? rules. I think the, I think it's fairly consistent within itself. Just the rules aren't necessarily something we would recognize as, like, like they're not science rules, but it, it's internally consistent within itself. In these two episodes. In these two episodes. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not arguing outside these two episodes, but, like, within these two episodes, it establishes rules and it keeps them. Yes, yes, no, and and that is one thing I do, uh, why, I I think this is kind of base level why I did like this on a rewatch, is because I forget all the times that they just make up things as they go. This two-parter has a pretty straightforward approach to the story it is telling in terms of like myth and magic <laughs> and we know there's going to be some hand waviness but at least the hand waviness is timey-wimey hand waviness and not like like you said trying to be science or trying to like be imp- I think sometimes Moffat's writing fails when he tries to make that stuff that's missing, those steps that are missing somehow become really important and we have to just kind of guess what they what they were. But I don't think it's that bad here. I think that they it's consistent enough and there is quite a bit of um payoff for following through. I mean, you get to have the big wedding scene and though it's a bit stereotypical, that's that's a nice, you know, ending to a two-parter that has war and time and all these things going on is like the the happy very stable set, set setting uh yeah uh any thoughts about the uh the ending or about the uh the kind of pandoric or anything there michaela i guess i guess we're kind of going, we're going in, in we're going in loops yeah, of our looping. own kind of going back um, and forth but uh uh thoughts in general about uh stuff we haven't covered high points low points anything uh kind of on your set of notes that might not be on mine we've covered most of it Okay. I guess I only have one other kind of, kind of, I have two other kind of big points that I would, I would bring up. And that is, um, you know, when we talk about the Pandorica, we talk about this, it's a really neat reversal because at first in, in the Pandorica opens, we think that, you know, the whole story is implying there's something in the Pandorica and it's going to get out and it's going to be our main antagonist. And we wait and we wait and wait. And then we turn out, no, it's really a prison for the doctor. And that's, it's a pretty neat little reversal there. Um, but it is sort of one of those things where I kind of do want to see a story where there is this like big nasty thing that's like super super powerful, this thing from myth and legend that the doctor actually has to fight. I kind of I kind of wish we had gotten that story so as well. Satan pit? Um, and I don't know how you guys feel. About it. Well, the Satan Pit. I mean, I I kind of like the Satan Pit actually, but, but you know, like a a sort of. <laughs> I do like the Satan Pit. Um, the Satan Pit traumatized me. Well, the Satan Pit has the Ood, so Shayna's gonna love it regardless, even if they're uh, slave Ood, you know. Maybe. No, the uh, the creepy guy with the things on his face that that frightened me quite a bit the first time oh, I yeah. watched that. No, the writing and all that. Oh man, oh I love that episode. Anyway, um, 
I'm actually totally fine with the idea that there isn't some mythic legend monster in there. I like the re- reversal that the mythic legend monster is the doctor. Um, I think that that idea of is the doctor really good for humankind or does it just kind of even out in the end? And the fact that we are then drawn to the Pandora's box story. I like that aspect of it because I think it opens up, it could have opened up a really interesting area for the plot to go. I don't think that we necessarily in the following episodes get to really go into this idea of, again, the consequences of the Doctor. But within these two episodes, we do. We get to see some direct consequences of him, like, fiddling with time. And so, again, like, this episode has consequences, so I like it. (laughs) I think they did try to go there with the whole, like, the good man goes to war with them creating an army and trying to get Melody to um, fight the doctor because he's so scary. I don't know if they handled it well, but I think they did try to go there. Yeah, I mean, series series six is a mess. I mean, it yeah. really is a mess, and uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of keep coming back to this a little bit, and that is that, um, and, I, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going somewhere with this. Moffat doesn't care about the big picture politics or the ideas, or the. I mean, Moffat's interested in, in fun jokes and clever reversals, and in uh, telling a telling a story about these characters that people are gonna latch on to. And I think that I just I wish he would stop trying to ask the philosophical questions if he's not going to dig. Yes, into that's kind of where I land on it, you know. Um, which and and the reason uh, I bring that up right now is because uh, Michaela, would you would you consider yourself like a fan of Stephen Moffat or of the Moffat era? I'm sorry if that's a if that's a trick question. I'm not trying to like no, put you on the it's, spot. It's just, just like uh, it's complicated because it's not like I love him. Or like I love his work, or it's not like I hate his work. It's like. He's given me a lot of stories that I really do genuinely like. Like, I don't hate Moffat. I don't hate everything he's done. I think he's made a lot of questionable decisions over the time he's run the show. But I also think he's done a lot of good things. I'm a moderate. Sure. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, so, so, and this is, this is kind of where I, I wanted to ask you, and again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, and I'm, you know, like, we're, we're friends, it's fine. Um, are we, do you think we're too rough? Do you think that we should, like, lay off of, uh, the Moffat era a little bit more? I mean, are we, are we kind of too aggressive on some of these topics? And if so, like, in what way? Like, what would you say are the, like, good things that we're not seeing when we talk about the Moffat era? Um, honestly, the first time I started listening to your podcast, I stopped, because I didn't want to hate the show I wanted to enjoy. And then I picked it up again. That's fair. And it was, I was, be- I, I just needed to know, like, I don't think anything what you're saying is wrong. I just have to be in the right mindset to listen to it without ending up just walking away from the whole thing in disgust. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that that's kind of part of it is, for me, I think I could go back and I could rewatch all those episodes and have a very different reaction to them now. But the fact that so many of the issues that I felt like were starting to be represented. And uh, I I think a lot of what makes me dislike Moffat is just, he wasn't what I wanted next. Mm. If there was a way to go, it was not necessary. It was not his way in my mind. I think I recognize a lot more of the faults of the RTDG era 
But I can also now at this point kind of say like, you know, this wasn't my favorite, but oh, it got so much worse. <laughs> and you know this is fun this this episode these two this two-parter was fun and maybe if i go back and i watch through some of it again i will be able to cling to like oh well no this is a fun episode and this is fun um because you know i've been able to do that with capaldi to be able to focus more on like i like this episode over this episode and I think I understand why people say we're too hard on Moffat. Um, but I also think I understand uh, why someone could say that we're not hard on him enough. Um, oh, I hold back. Honestly, I, I really do. Like, it, It's a question of, you know, why are you watching at that moment? And And for me, you know, when I was first watching these episodes i really wanted to get something else out of them and now i'm not expecting that i'm i'm expecting more for entertainment and i'm not like looking for the depth so when i get the depth it's a happy surprise yeah and don't get me wrong i there's some things he's done that i am very unhappy with absolutely yeah no i get that come on come on michaela give us a rant you haven't gotten a rant from you really want a rant if you want to give one, if not, that's fine. I mean, you know, it's 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 up to you. I was just uh, I was kind of I was hoping to get you rubbed up and give us a nice angry rant <laughs> that you couldn't do on the web queer, you know. Well, I do tend to get angry on the web queer. I lately I you do. I, I've noticed that. Yeah. Like it wasn't his episode, but he was co-written on it. Like the Zygon two part of this series, I was very very angry at, especially the speech at the end, which I've seen a lot of fandom be so happy about. I, I can't stand that speech because I identify a lot with the Zygons, with the wanting to be recognized for yourself, wanting to not like not have to be in the closet. And then the whole doctor saying that you, we should go back to status quo and not get not make people uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I, my reaction of when we reviewed yeah. the episode was basically, so should we shut our podcast then, down then and go home? Because clearly the doctor would not appreciate us trying to like push to, for better representation and better like yeah just better representation in general because that would make people uncomfortable and we shouldn't rock the boat so scary i, 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 I think mean, that it'll i think in a lot of interviews moffat very much does kind of get well why don't you just sit down and shut up then if you don't like you know what i'm doing on these issues i you know i do get that impression from some and, of these interviews so yes i think he does say that and he's actually moffat he said in an interview once, I think it was specifically talking about Sherlock, but it applies that Sherlock isn't asexual because that would be boring. It's just lovely to have a showrunner of a show you enjoy tell you that your existence is too boring to put on television. Yeah. Or that, you know, the doctor will be a woman when the queen is a man. That's how seriously he takes it. I think. Yeah, I think we're, I think yeah. we're all in agreement on this. Um. Yeah, anytime I, and you know, I do wonder, and maybe I'll ask Jack about this next time he's on. I don't know how you could see the scene where the Zygon sheriff is talking about the child who couldn't control their powers and got shot, and then everybody was afraid of them because the child was scary. I could, I like. I I almost can't talk about it now even because there's so much politics uh current American politics that are scary kids getting shot because they're scary cuz they're black or brown 
Well, you know, the, those Skittles just look so much yeah. like a gun, you know. Um, so, uh, I don't know if it's quite as resonant in the UK, but yeah. Uh, thankfully, this two-parter did not do anything that made me quite as upset as that. Um, but that that was a whole new level of upset, and I think we could all three talk about that for a very long time. And none of us are very happy. Well, and uh, Jessica, a couple, Jessica, Jessica, a couple of weeks ago came on, and we talked a lot about that. I don't know if you've yeah. listened to that episode yet, Michaela. And like, yeah, our series nine discussion, we we went into yeah. that. And degrees. like, keep in mind, I'm Canadian, so I want like mm-hmm. we are far from perfect, but U.S. gun culture is terrifying. Oh yes, it is. As an American, I believe it is too. <laughs> Well, and and we live in Kalamazoo, where uh, there was a mass shooting just uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago. So, yay. So, like, it's hard to say. Like, these stories are being made primarily for a British audience. And Canadians, like, we're kind of, sometimes it seems like we're halfway in the middle in terms of cultures. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say, like, I can't say how it would be different from the British standpoint from the American standpoint. But I think it is worth keeping in mind that it isn't an American show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is really being said about gun culture and othering and all uh, the the metaphor of the Zygon episode, I think, was wildly mishandled. Let's I'll just say oh. that. Well, I, I think, I mean, and, and this is again, I'm, I'm quoting from Phil Sandifer, who, who really likes that story and uh, basically says, the the whole point of the Zygons in that two-parter is that they are ridiculously over-signified, and that is they, they're kind of ISIS, and they're kind of queer, and they're kind of this and that, and they're like so many different things that they don't mean anything in particular. That um, And so they're they're kind of immune, quote-unquote. He wouldn't, sorry, I'm not quoting Phil Sanifer, but you know, kind of the point being they're not meant to stand in for any of these kind of political proxies. They're meant to do they're meant to just be this alien race, which I think is just kind of silly, Phil. Well, I'm I would, sorry. Phil oh, is never going to listen to this, I would argue but, you know, I, I think it's ridiculous. If you're giving hooks to all these different viewpoints, you're allowing all these different groups of people to identify with them. So to give mm-hmm. people like an episode and a half to identify with these, like, yeah. these people, because they are people, and yeah. then yeah. shut it down and say, you don't matter, your problems don't matter because the doctor doesn't have a personal tailor. Yeah. Like, that is just appalling. Well, and, you know, if if Phil is saying they, they are purposefully filled to the brim of being able to stand in for different topical issues, that does not mean that they should be easily overlooked unless you are a white cishet man. That's not quite what okay. Phil is saying. I'm I'm oversimplifying okay. well, a little bit, but, like, but you know, let me that that's kind of the point I made making. If you're not identifying with the Zygons in those episodes, you are making a choice to identify with the not Zygons, or the choice that you have made to identify with the not Zygons is a choice of privilege. Well, it's a choice to side with the establishment mm-hmm. ultimately. Like that, that's what that is. Sorry, now yep. we're totally talking. We're not talking about the uh, the big bang. Nope, not at all. Uh, yeah, you fine. wanted a Moffat rant, um, but I like it. I I I like Thanks it. I appreciate you. it. Yeah. So um. So yeah, I think uh, I think we can wrap up here unless anybody has any further thoughts. I did. I mean, I do. I do love talking about the Zygon <laughs> two parter. If we want to go on for another hour, I'm fine with that. But um, I think yeah. I think we can kind of wrap up. Um, uh, 
Shana, any further thoughts about uh, these two stories or um, these two episodes? Yeah, honestly, I just I want to thank Michaela again because I think you are the first person who really has brought me back to a point of saying like, hey, this is a reason to like these characters. These this two parter is a reason to like these characters. It has some it has some good examples of failures of the characters as well, but it did make me want to go back and watch specific but not all <laughs> episodes about Amy and Rory because I think that I could find new appreciation for those characters um so thanks Michaela because you are the first person that has come on that I really feel like yeah thank you for putting your spin on it for me you're welcome I'm glad you like them I I hope to have this kind of conversation where I pick them because I thought they were representative but I didn't want to pick a terrible episode because there are so many options that we could just rage about for an hour, but that seems counterproductive. Yeah, no, that I'm used to doing that. It was nice to be able to say, okay, let's talk about this and talk about when these characters actually do do things right, the things we like about them. Yeah, that's. A, I think that's a good, a good, uh, a good final point. Uh, Michaela, tell us where we can find uh, the Web of Queer or you on Twitter and uh, you know anything you want to plug. Okay, right so now. the Web of Queer is at thewebofqueer.com or the Web of Queer on Twitter. I am at Michaela Mick on Twitter. That's M-I-K-A-Y-L-A-M-I-C. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being on, Michaela. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing Planet of Fire. I'm uh, going to get uh, introduced to uh, Perry and uh, say goodbye to Turlo. So uh, this is going to be a fun one. I know Michaela's laughing. She's uh, You guys have actually done this one on the Web of Queer already, so you know what Shana's uh, looking forward to at this point. Um, so I look forward Am to I that next week. Am I gonna get lots of Turlo gay then... moments? I'm bad at subtext. <laughs> <laughs> that is the forever. I love you. <laughs> so until next week, the TARDIS is Bye. closed. Our theme music is Doctor Who Theme on Mini Moog by James Bragg. Find his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash hyperdust7 and his website at phoenix-flare.com. Daniel is also a regular host of the They Must Be Destroyed on Site movie podcast, which you can find at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find all Oyce Spaceman episodes on iTunes or at our website, oyspaceman.libsyn.com, and our podcast blog is at oyspaceman.wordpress.com. You can email us at oyspacemanpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com, and you can find our individual Twitter accounts at Daniel Lee Harper and Inkyosa, that's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. Comments and questions, welcome.